Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show was presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and especially this time of year. Your wardrobe needs to get freshened up. Let's be real. You ran in all that winter stuff. All year round, you were starting off every run super cold, and then you were sweating like crazy by the end because we all have to dress warmly. And then ultimately, by the end of those winter runs, we are sweating like crazy. All your winter weather, all your winter running gear stinks, right? I mean, it all stinks. You can get those great athletic, like deodorizing, you know, stuff that you put into your washing machine. It doesn't matter, man. We all know that stuff smells. So you're going to need some new running gear. And what better place than Mercury Mile? When you go online, mercurymile.com, they'll send you a box of curated running goodies and attire. You keep what you love. You send back what you don't. And you'll get great prices as well. It really is that easy. You're already busy. You don't need to be running around literally and figuratively to stores looking for proper running gear. Just stay in your home, have it shipped to you, and you'll keep what you love. And I'll, I'll tell you this. I've gotten, I think, six or seven Mercury Mile boxes over the past two years. And I think I've kept about two-thirds of the things. And the stuff that I haven't kept was usually simply because I already had that from a, you know, a purchase that I made on my own. So you'll love the stuff in there. I have no doubts. And you can use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout to save $10 on your $20 stylist fee. Today's episode is with Tamron Bennett. Tam is just a beloved figure uh, for so many people in the running and endurance community, not only because she is so caring and so thoughtful, as you'll hear in this episode, but she's also really good. So when you have that that humble nature with that high quality uh, race performance matched with just the love that she has for other people and just her approach to life in general, it really is a wonderful mix. And you'll hear it all in this episode. A lot of people wanted to hear this one, and I couldn't wait to have Tam on. That's for sure. We could t- we could have talked about so many things. In fact, we didn't even get to the 10K PR she set two weeks ago, which was like on my list of things to cover. And we went over an hour without even touching that. But ultimately, I think you're going to love her story here because it's something that a lot of people can relate to no matter how fast they are. And I don't mean that just in terms of people who may be slower than Tam, but people who are faster as well. We touch on a lot of things that I think are very universal, which is the entire point of this show. So here's my conversation with Tam Bennett. Hello, Tam, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, Matt. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you so much for coming on. I was just telling you before, but I'm going to repeat it now because it's true. About, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, I did a little online Instagram poll. said, hey, who should I have on the show? And I always get a kind of a wide variety of uh, responses, which is great because oftentimes I hear about people that I didn't know before and I hear about all these wonderful stories. And it really is a great opportunity to, for me to learn about new potential guests. However, your name popped up like way more than anybody else. <laughs> Not to say anything bad about anybody else, but I think a, a, what you're doing has resonated with so many people that they really went out of their way to put your name in there. So with that being said, I'm so excited to have you on. Well, thank you. I am very honored and flattered to be here. I'm a little surprised, but thank you for whoever requested me. That's really sweet. Well, I'll tell you what, I think part of it too is that, like I, like I just said, what you've been doing resonates with a lot of people because, well, first of all, you've had a wonderful start from a racing perspective in 2019 and talk about what led to that and the foundational elements and the kind of the struggles that may have pre, you know, preceded some of this. But when you were, say, December 31st, getting ready for 2019. I don't know if you do, you know, goals for the year or things like that, but what were some of the things that you were hoping to accomplish from an athletic perspective in this year? Oh, well, 
you know, every year I think you go into wanting to be better and a little bit stronger than you were the year before. And that was definitely the case with me. Um, I was already signed up for the Phoenix Marathon. So I was pretty focused. I think December 31st, I was maybe five weeks out from it. So, I mean, my sights were pretty heavily on getting getting a good marathon PR in Phoenix. And you are a veteran of that race. So what, what about what, what about Phoenix has drawn you kind of like year after year to that to that sucker? Well, you know, it is in Arizona in February and um, they moved it this year. They moved the, the date up two weekends. But before that, it was always the weekend of my birthday. And it just seemed like a great opportunity to go somewhere warm and do what I love for my birthday. Kind of the perfect way to celebrate. Oh, that's, well, I'll tell you what, that's not something that people can relate to. <laughs> I, said, I said before people can relate to what you're doing, but I think I'm going to run for a marathon on my birthday because I love it. I'll tell you what, you have to be a, a certain kind of person to really to gravitate towards that as a birthday celebration. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I I have a lot of you know, friends and athletes and everything that it's just fun. You know, I mean, for your 37th birthday, go, you know, run 3.7 miles or do a 3,700 yard swim, you know, something just to play on numbers. It's just a fun way to, I don't know, just be an athlete and celebrate at the same time. There you go. So you're 37. That means (laughs) so so we're the same age. I had my birthday pretty close to yours so i'm january 24th oh uh, so, nice okay so we're so we're about the same age and you now just so you said you know going to phoenix in february is nice let's tell the people where you live then just to, I, to juxtapose it <laughs> i live in northern utah and the that very same weekend that i was in phoenix um i think it was a complete blizzard here but i'm pretty sure it was in the low teens so i'll, I'll take the phoenix sun over a blizzard any day I can imagine. I can imagine. However, you know, it's not as if your birthday didn't come with its own struggles like every marathon does. That's for sure. And when you were, so again, just going back to the December 31st idea, you're, you're prepping for this race, which you've done many times. What about that, you know, because that prognostication or you're, you're looking forward to that race was different than, say, past years when you were, you know, kind of looking at the same sort of buildup through the end of the winter? Well, you know, it actually hadn't been the same kind of buildup. <laughs> um, I have done, this was my fourth year doing that race. Um, but the first year I did it, I signed up, I think it was eight weeks before. Um, it was just kind of a, my friend and I were looking and we're like, hey, you know what? let's go do a girl's trip down to Phoenix. And she signed up for the half marathon. And I was like, well, I'll go try to run 20 miles this week. And if I can make it through it, then I'll sign up for the marathon. And so I I did 20 and I was like, all right, we'll do it. And so it really was just a for fun race. It wasn't a train and let's go and do it. Um, And then the following year, I had kind of placed more focus on triathlon training, which If you know much about marathon training versus triathlon training, they are very different. And doing the triathlon training, um, your endurance base is great. But as far as that um, marathon speed and that running speed, it wasn't quite there. Um, And so it was, again, another, well, let's go back this year. And so six weeks before I signed up, and was like, oh, should I do the half or the full? And I was like, well, my endurance is there. I'll just do the full. And by then, I had been asked to be an ambassador for the race. And um, so it was kind of like, all right, well, we'll just keep going back. And the following year, I probably shouldn't have done it at all. I, um, I had just done my first Ironman in November of 2017, And so by the time February of 2018 rolled around, I was still having a slower time recovering and I had barely ran it all. I mean, I I know for some people it might've been a decent amount, but I think I peaked at 19 miles for the week. Um, 
And, and were you were you cross training at that time too, or was that just that was the the extent to your prep? Um, you know, I was swimming. I have found swimming to be very therapeutic and relaxing for me. It doesn't get your heart rate up, and it, it's not it. Well, for me, I'm not a, a sprinter when I swim, so just you know, endurance sets. I find it um, just it feels really good on my body, and so I was swimming. So I did have um, some hours of aerobic fitness from my swimming. And then obviously you don't just all of a sudden go from doing a full Ironman to not having any fitness at all. So, but. Yeah, certainly. Obviously you had some, some in the tank and your body had done you know remarkable things in the past, not just with that marathon, but you know, in terms of, you know, if you were in a position where you could just pick up a marathon at the spur of the moment, you obviously were pretty fit other years as well, just from a baseline perspective, even if you weren't like in PR shape or something like that, uh, you're obviously a very active person. And just looking back at last year's race, and you, you've talked a little bit about this in some of your social media posts and, and things like that, but you had this odd relationship, odd is to, I shouldn't say odd, it, it, kind of like a, kind of a back and forth relationship with your race last year, because like you just mentioned, you had, you're coming off the marathon. You, I mean, it comes out, you're coming off the, the, uh, the Ironman. Mm-hmm. You weren't, you know, you weren't training, especially for you or someone who's an experienced marathoner, you weren't putting in the typical marathon training leading into it. And yet you had this kind of emotional response after the race uh, in terms of, you know, what it meant to you and kind of, you know, kind of setting the stage, I guess, for, for the future race to come. Yeah. You know, it was actually a really hard day for me. Um, I think just because in my mind, I do feel like, well, Hey, I can go out and do this. Um, and you, you just kind of also in your heart and in your mind, believe certain truths, I guess, about yourself. But when your body is not in a place to do that, it it can be pretty challenging. And um, I should not have done the full. There's no question. And even my husband was telling me, he's like, please just do the half. Don't do the full. I don't think you should. And it was still just going back to the, no, it's my birthday. This is how I want to celebrate my birthday. And Phoenix also does this thing with Um, over the course of five years, each medal makes a point in a five point star. And so this was the third point. And I'm like, no, I really want all of my, the points on my star to say marathon. So again, it was a very much a pride thing. Um, And I did that race. And um, my doctor had advised me that I had to take it easy. He's like, fine. I, I get that you're going to do this no matter what I say. Um, so you need to put your watch to your heart rate. I don't want you to look at your pace. I don't want you to look at anything. And so that's what I did. Um, and that worked up to a point about to mile 15. And then the next few miles just kept feeling harder and harder. And my heart rate kept getting higher and higher. And I made it through 20. And then that last 10K, I had to walk so much. And it was one of the most emotionally defeating um, 10Ks of my life. Just because it was like kind of heartbreaking that I'm doing something that I love it's my birthday. (laughs) I'm in the sun, which is my happy place. And I feel like garbage. And it was just, um, I mean, I know there are so many worse things out there, but for me, it was, it was just kind of a hard day and hard to, to accept that, um, my body just, it had been, it, it had been through a lot. And I, um, it wasn't until a few months later that I, I guess, finally got knocked on the head and realized that I needed to give my body the time off that it, it deserved. 
Now, if you had, I guess, if you could go back and tell yourself, I guess, give yourself advice before that race, or I guess oftentimes you don't even need to do that. If you were like advising one of your friends in that exact same situation, what would you tell them going into that race that maybe, you know, that you needed to hear if the roles had been reversed? You know, if you take all emotion out of it, just don't do it. Just don't do it. But then also taking the emotion into it. Um, I later learned that Phoenix actually does a way that you can virtually earn the medal. And so if I was telling my friend, I probably would have been like, you know what, let's get you healthy. And this summer, let's just have a huge birthday bash. You know, we can do it in the summer in the sunshine and we'll have, you know, sour patch watermelons along the way. And I mean, cause I love gummy candy. <laughs> so we can, you know, we'll just have a party in the summer and do your virtual marathon. So you'll still get that marathon medal. We'll still celebrate your birthday. Um, but, but this way you'll be smarter. And you touched on something in the beginning of that. Uh, which I think a lot of people can relate to. I know I certainly can is that you basically had this expectation of what you thought you'd be able to achieve because of what you'd had achieved in the past, which is like a way of looking at your athleticism or looking at your fitness, not in terms of what it's currently capable of doing, but what you have done in the past and thinking like, Hey, I can get there. I've done it before. And I know we see a lot of people, again, me included, that have the same issue, especially when they're coming back from injury. Now, have, mm-hmm. you, have, you, have you experienced that or dealt with that same sort of, you know, I guess, self-comparison in the past? Absolutely. And, and that's 100% what it is. And it took me, like I said, it took me a few months of doing things that I still shouldn't do until it was finally like, you know what, Tamron, this is not where you are. We need to look at where you are and then we'll just start building from there. Um, and so, I mean, to answer your question back maybe 10 minutes ago when you asked <laughs> what was different about this year is that I finally was like, you know what? I need to give myself a fair chance. If I want to have a, a successful marathon, I need to actually do a full marathon training cycle and I need to do it smart you know where it's like well just because you can do something doesn't mean you should yeah yeah exactly I mean I think that I I take that same that same approach to to desserts you know (laughs) just because I can eat all these cookies you know Uh, no you're absolutely right and then also, I think it also brings to bear the idea of when you go through something like that, or especially if you're, you know, if you're kind of wearing yourself down, it also can become this negative cycle where you feel like if I just work harder, you don't view it necessarily as a wearing down cycle. You might view it as like, oh, I'm just not getting fit enough, or I just need to do these workouts better or change up my workouts or mm-hmm. work harder. Or, you know what I mean? So you think like, all right, you know, I'm just going to be the person who, you know. I just need to dig deeper. You know, I'm getting older. I just need to work harder. And that can end up being this negative cycle that just puts you even further in the hole. Well, absolutely. And I think it's hard because you always hear you've got to push your limits. You know, the only way you're going to get better is to push your limits. Or or, or comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes. Is another one. it, It is such a fine line, though, between pushing your limits and overextending yourself. And. I mean, it's a hard thing, especially for athletes to realize that your body sometimes needs the rest more than it needs the, the grind, the no, just dig down today and get through it and you'll be better off for it. And sometimes that's not the case. So, yeah, especially in the long term, right? I oh, mean, absolutely. <laughs> I, mean, I think, I think, you know, it's like, I love all those like David Goggins quotes and I like, I love his book and all that. And I read that I'm like, yes, I'm just going to be like that dude. He's amazing. And it's like a week later, you're like, oh God, I am just, I am just so stupid. <laughs> what did I just do to myself? But see right there though, I feel like that's the, another hard thing 
is that we see other people doing it and we're like, oh, okay, I can, I'm going to do that. I, I want to try to do that too. And what um, I finally had to realize is that I can't do that. I can't do race after race after race. I can't do, um, you know, what some other of my friends or, you know, people that I follow on Instagram, I can't do that. My body needs a little bit more recovery. Um, maybe my lifestyle is a little different than theirs. And so, I mean, we're just all so different that we can't say just because someone else does it, that we're going to do it. Right. And yet you have a very, like, because of your penchant for like, you know, like just picking up a marathon eight, six weeks out, eight weeks out, not including this last buildup, which, which I can't wait to talk to you about. What did it look like before, like the previous four or five years in terms of your training, where you had the fitness to make those kinds of spontaneous decisions, but not necessarily the classic marathon buildup? Oh, well, the last four and five years have been different for me. Um, I, you know, in 2014, I was starting to train for my very first Boston and I was, you know, pretty excited, but I had some things going on in, um, our personal lives with one of my kids, um, that was, I was going to a lot of doctor's appointments and, um, and it was, it was pretty for me, it was a very, um, emotional, worrisome time. And, um, that coupled, I mean, th this is all speculative from my doctor's perspective. Um, so kind of the training plus all of that, that was going on, um, actually threw me into adrenal failure. Um, not just fatigue, but full on failure. And, and what, does, what does that mean? Well, basically, my body was not producing anything that it should be. Um, so I, I, I got my, my numbers in here. So I didn't just sound like an idiot. But um, my lab results. Um, so like for testosterone, um, I guess that you between eight and 48. And my level was less than one, they could barely even read it. Um, and with estrogen, um, for the the phase of my cycle that I was in, I was supposed to be at um, I was in the luteal phase at the time of the test. And I should have been between 43 and 211. And I was 22. Um, so my my body just wasn't producing those hormones that it needs to kind of regulate your functions. And, um, I guess the adrenal glands are, um, part, the main, uh, I guess body part, I'm not sure the terminology <laughs> that produce and help regulate those hormones in your body. Um, and pretty much my body had tanked. Um, so how did it feel for you? Uh, well, my doctor used the word chronic fatigue, and I think that's exactly how it felt. Um, I was just wiped out, literally no energy. And it wasn't just a, hey, I pulled an all-nighter, I'm tired. It was that no matter what I did, I could not get any energy. Um, and, you know, trying to run was almost comical because – I would feel, I felt like, you know, usually I could go out and I could comfortably hold a certain pace. And when I would try to run, I'd be running a full minute slower than that pace and feel like I was completely anaerobic, that I was sprinting. I know exactly um, what you mean. That exact same thing has happened to me. And it is, yes. it is incredibly <laughs> frustrating and like it sets off like so many questions in your mind, some rational, some completely irrational. Definitely. Yeah. It's just hard because you don't feel like yourself. And anyway, especially when you're that... training for a marathon, 
Like you're sitting there like you're not just going for like a daily run. You're like tra- training for something where you're going to be flying across the country to go do. Right. Right. And I mean, I, I feel like I had a different um, expectation for Boston. I wasn't trying to set myself up for a PR. I, I don't feel like I really knew much about running or the Boston Marathon before. Um, but my mom is from Boston. She grew up back there. And my parents actually lived there when they first got married. And so I've been back there a few times, love that area. And it, so it was just kind of like, oh, we're going to just go have a fun trip in Boston. And while I'm there, I'll run the marathon. And, um, and so I don't feel like I had a lot of pressure for myself doing that race. Um, but yeah, it was still hard to keep doing the training when I felt so awful. And obviously you had, you know, family factors that contributed to your adrenal fatigue, adrenal failure, um, and just how you were feeling and how you were going about your life. But even taking that part out, did you learn anything during that experience that helped you in the future mitigate or just deal with circumstances to help mitigate some of their negative effects on you and your training? Yes. I, I mean, I hope I did. It's, uh, I think just a lot of times we think that we can just power through and I, I feel like for me, it was a big awakening to realize that I need sleep. I really do. Um, some people don't need as much sleep. My mom does not need as much sleep and I have no idea how she does it. But then also as an athlete, you need even more sleep. And so I think that was a big thing for me is to just realize that sleep has to be a critical part of anything I want to do. Right. And which is like the hard part, because that was part of what was sacrificed through those family issues. Yes. Yeah. So you almost get put in a situation where it's like, your lifestyle is stopping you from achieving goals. So when you're, so when you're there and you're like, Hey, I can't, I can't change this. Right. Like this is, this is my life right now. I'm not going to be able to get the sleep that I need in order to do these, you know, these activities that I really want to do. How did you deal with the idea of, you know, either postponing them or just, just working your life away around in a way that allowed you later on to do this, but without resenting anybody or anything for the idea that you had to basically postpone this part of your life. Um, well, I had doctor's orders that I couldn't run. So that was fairly easy for me to just say, okay, you can't run. And so I, I took about two years off actually. Um, but, you know, kind of moving forward, for instance, now what I need to do is um, when I start to feel myself, it's a, it's a really strange feeling to not be tired, but to feel like even with sleep, you're not recovering. And, and so when I start to feel that again, I just take a day off, even though I hate that. I really do. I, I feel like, I mean, I've said it for years that I think exercise is my antidepressant. Um, but I can, I definitely feel like I don't want to go back there. I, it was not, um, my favorite time in life to feel that way. (laughs) So when you were able to get back into it in 2016, did you already have this idea in your head that like, once you were able to get back, you're going to go, you know, kind of full throttle. I mean, you're, you're always, you know, you're, like you said, you're always training, you're always, you know, doing something. You've run so many, you know, you've done, you know, a lot of races, you've gotten a lot faster, you've done Ironman. When you came back in 2016, did you have that in the back of your head that this is the path you wanted to take? Um, I don't know if I quite knew what path I wanted to take in 16. Um, in fact, at the end of 2016, I, I remember just feeling so grateful 
even though I don't feel like I had any good races, I think actually, I don't think I had a single PR that year. Um, I was just so happy to be back that it wasn't a comeback in terms of coming back and being faster, but it was coming back and doing what I love. So 16 was just kind of a welcome back year for me. Um, I, I had no regrets that year or really, um, I was just so happy to be, to be doing it again. Um, 17, I had definitely start to set goals for myself. Um, and I, I feel like I achieved some of those, but 17 also had, it was kind of a roller coaster year for me. Um, but it ended awesome. I mean, I did my first full Ironman and that was a, a 10 year dream of mine. So again, 17 was awesome. I think probably 18 last year was the year that, um, was the hardest one for me that I've had since 14. All right. So after the Phoenix marathon, you said that you alluded to the fact that you just kind of kept banging your head against the wall <laughs> or, you know, uh, on some level. Yeah. What, what exactly did that <laughs> yeah. look like? Like how much time did you take off after the marathon? And what did your training look like after that, as you tried to kind of get to new, a new fitness level? Well, I had signed up the previous September to do Boston. I had some friends that had finally qualified and I had told them, okay, well, when you qualify, I'll go to Boston with you. And so I was qualified for Boston or sorry, I was signed up for Boston, which is two months, which is two months after the Phoenix marathon. It's seven weeks, seven weeks. Actually. Oh my God. <laughs> right, Cause they moved the date. All right. I got it. All right. Sounds good. So it was, it was seven weeks after Phoenix last year. And I mean, I didn't have much to kind of taper from. So it really was just kind of, okay, keep building. So before Boston, I was able to do a 15 mile run, which I was pretty happy about to at least have, you know, a two hour run under my belt. Um, but I mean, who could have predicted how 2018 Boston turned out? <laughs> I know you should have just stayed in the pool, Tam. You would have been better off. Um, I know, <laughs> I know. And I don't know if you know this about me, Matt, but I do not do well in cold at all. Uh, so let's just tell the people again, where do you live? I live in Northern <laughs> Utah. <laughs> but I should clarify, I grew up in Southern Utah, which is pretty close to Vegas where you, you know, you have triple digit summers and it never snows. And I love the heat. I'm one of those weird people that if it's 90 degrees, I like going out for a run. You know, if it's over 90, I love the sun on my back on a bike ride. I love it. I would live on a boat if I could. Oh, no, I'm, in... I'm married to one of those people, Tam. I know exactly okay. what you mean. No, my, my, okay. <laughs> my wife and her brother used to play this game when they were in high school. They would, you know, after high school, like after, like, say it was like a, a middle of June day, right near the end of the school year, they would get in the car at the end of the day or like at the end of like a beach day. And you know how the car feels at that point. It's just oh, baking It's hot. awesome. They would get in oh, there and they would, have a, they would have like a, a contest to see like, who would give in first to turn on the car and turn on the AC? They would just <gasps> sit in it. That sounds like something my brothers and I would do. I can see that. I can, I can picture that hundred <laughs> percent. So 40 miles, so 40 mile an hour winds, 40 degree weather, insane rain in Boston coming off of yeah. not really having the ideal marathon cycle doesn't lead to probably the best result. No, but I mean, you can't ever complain doing Boston. It's, just one of those experiences that you take with you forever. So, <laughs> I mean, time doesn't matter. I was frozen. I, w I was definitely um, hypothermic <laughs> at the finish. I just kept repeating Weston, Weston, Weston to whoever could direct me where to go because that was the hotel we were in and I had no clue where I was or what was going on. So thankfully all the people that were out there knew where the Weston was and could help me. 
And then, all right, so, so you, you do Phoenix, you come back seven weeks later, you do Boston. And what does, at that point, your, your body must have been pretty hurting. So, what, so, uh, so how, do you, how, do you handle, how do you handle the recovery from that? Well, I did the nail in the coffin. And three weeks later, I did a half Ironman. Oh, my God, damn. You are a glutton for punishment. No, that's why when you say it, it sounds so stupid. And when I think back on what I did, that's why last year I'm like, oh, that was so dumb. Um, But I was looking at our calendar and, you know, our kids schedules and everything. And I'm like, this may be the only triathlon I get to do this year. And so I, I was dumb and I, I did it. (laughs) Don't do that. Anyone that's listening, please don't do it. It's not worth, it's not worth the rest of the year. So after, so, so, so did you get to a point where you made a conscious decision? Like I need to back off or did your body just give up and you had no choice? Um, race day was kind of like a, oh, again, like you have this idea of what your body can do. And when I couldn't even tap into that at all on race day, um, and I ended up in the medical tent after I, my heart rate went over 200. It just, it wasn't a good day for me. And, um, my husband was like, Tamron, you have to stop. And he is so, he's so patient with me. Um, and he's like, I love you. And I know you love this, but please, you have to stop. And I think just the look in his eyes when he was asking me that kind of was the biggest awakening for me just being like, oh, this is, this isn't how I want to feel when I'm racing. This isn't, things obviously are not going how I want them to, um, I, I should probably listen to him. <laughs> you know, you have a, a great, a great group of individuals that you train and race with and communicate with. And a number of them have been on this show, in fact. And when you were going through that, um, you know, post iron, post half Ironman recovery, basically like recovering from the winter and spring in all actuality, um, or even going back to like that full Ironman the previous year, what was that like in terms of figuring out, you know, when you thought you were ready and just kind of like your, your, your next steps going from recovery to then kind of getting back in the mix and how were you communicating with your coaches and or friends who were also obviously you know, strong advocates for you, but also very active. And you obviously, you were, you were seeing what they were doing as well. Mm-hmm. You know, That night after the half Ironman, I was there um, with Ash Davis. Um, She's a happy pace on Instagram. And she looked at me because I was pretty, I was pretty upset. Um, Not in terms of anger, but I was, I was crying. And I guess I'm pretty emotional when it comes to racing. But um, I was crying and she was like, Tam, you just did Chicago in October a full marathon or full Ironman in November, Phoenix in February, Boston in April, and now a half Ironman. That's four full marathons in the span of six months. Um, She's like, I'm amazed that your body was able to do what it did. And I hadn't ever spelled it out that way. Again, I say this and I feel like, duh, you're so stupid. (laughs) But when someone actually sits down and breaks it out for you like that, it's kind of like, oh, okay, I probably need to take this more seriously. Um, And, you know, it was probably good timing because that half Ironman was in um, May. And whenever my kids get out of school, I feel like training is so much harder um just because when they're in school then I don't feel guilty you know going on an hour run or whatever but when they're home then it's kind of like oh well I want to I want them to have a fun summer 
And so June and July and August, we just kind of played. I mean, it was good timing to just kind of be like, all right, well, let's go to the pool and let's go hiking. Um, We went on a lot of different trips. We went camping, went to California, and it was just nice to um, take the training component out of the schedule. And if I felt like going for a run, then it was just easy miles. Um, I didn't swim or bike really at all. So I guess it was good timing for me to kind of get my act together. Did you miss it or were you able to detach from it? I didn't really miss it, actually. I feel like I was able to detach. Um, I think towards the end of the summer, when I started seeing how people were doing with their races, um, you're always so happy for them. But then there's that big part of you that's like, oh, I want that. I want my PR. I want to go out and have a strong race. And so I think towards, um, you know, end of August, September, that's kind of when I was like, all right. I'm ready to get back into this, which was good because I had New York in November. And that's a great sign too, right? That you didn't force yourself into it before you started getting excited. You kind of did the opposite. You like, you wait, it was like almost like, again, you had other factors, like you mentioned with your kids being home and all of that, but it seems like a really healthy way to approach it. That like you dove back in once your mind mentally and emotionally started craving that feeling again. Yeah. I think so. I, I, I do coach um, quite a few athletes and I always tell them when we're doing the training that if it's not fun, then we need to stop and look at it. If it's starting to become more of a job or something you have to do instead of something you look forward to doing, then we need to change some things up. And, and so I think anytime you start looking at it as, I mean, there are absolutely days when you don't want to do something, um, but because you are training, you still go and do it. I think that's totally normal. But definitely, if you are dreading week after week of the training, um, probably need to take a step back and ask yourself, why am I doing this? I'm really glad that you phrased it that way. That's so well put, that that we are all going to have those days where we're like, oh, great. You know, like, I don't want to do this. Um, right. And it's not even just training, right? We all, we have jobs that feel that way, right? We might feel that <laughs> way towards our family from time to time, you know? It doesn't mean, like, we don't love them. It's like, oh, great. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like another baseball game I have to go to. All righty, here we go. You know? right. um, so, you know, and that's, that is perfectly normal. And it's not necessarily a sign of anything. Whereas, no. whereas the weeks on end of dreading something could be, it could it absolutely is probably a sign of either something externally wrong with the situation or internally something wrong with us where we need to maybe get back to normal. Yes, I, I agree with that. So here you are. So when did you, all right. So when did you sign up for New York? Um, you have to enter, do the registration in January. Okay. And I had a guaranteed entry because I had qualified. So I knew in January that I would be doing it. Um, but I think you find out in February. Okay. For for sure. Okay. Got it. So when you, so you started back up again, where you did, you did the New York half or full? I did the full. Okay. So when you got back into training again in late August, did you notice right away? Obviously, you weren't in the fitness you were in before, but did you notice that like your body was ready to get back into it? Like, do you have that spring or that bounce that maybe you don't have when you have months on end of, you know, that chronic fatigue type feeling? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say I had spring at that point. Um, I it's funny because I think it was around Labor Day. I had gone um, with my friend Mary, and she, oh, bless her heart, she is so fast, and she stuck with me for so many runs where I was like, I just have to go easy today, and there was one run around Labor Day that I still reference as the 15-mile trudge, 
because I felt like it was a death march. And she stayed with me the whole time. And I would say, oh, I have to walk right now for a minute. She's like, okay. And she was springy. But um, I, I, it was still, it was a, I would say it was a slow build back to getting that spring. Um, I started incorporating speed again, which I hadn't done in two years. So. Oh, interesting. So what was your. That was fun. Wh- why did you bring that back? Um. Well, I had to stop it just because of, um, in 17, I, well, no, it was 16 or 17. I'm sorry. The years kind of blend together, but, um, I went back into adrenal fatigue and this time it was just fatigue, not failure. Um, and, um, and that's when my doctor just told me, okay, well, you pretty much have zone one running from here on out. And, um, we've got to get your body to where it's producing these hormones on its own. Um, and so last summer, um, we would, we would do regular blood checks every couple of months in the beginning. It was about every month, but now I I don't have to go in as often. And so then he just kind of gave me the, the green light that I could start incorporating speed work but I couldn't give myself set paces. He just said, like, if I wanted to do a 400 workout, then I would go to the track and just run a 400. But if I tried to give myself the 400 pace that I used to be able to do in a 400 workout, it, it wouldn't work out well for me. And I would be tanked the next day. So I needed to be able to, you know, just going back to the where are you now? And let's just work with that and keep building. Right. I mean, that's a great lesson for a lot of people, especially when doing track workouts. And I had the, a coach a decade ago who was hot on this, and it took me forever to finally buy in because I felt I approached track workouts like I used to attract. I used to like do basketball, like basketball practice of like you go as absolutely as hard as you can until you can't go anymore. And his whole point yeah. was like, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I need you to be able to run tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like that's great that you're like working so hard and trying to kill it. And I can appreciate that. But if you can't run tomorrow, then this, this whole thing didn't make any sense. He's like, we need you to be running right. 40, 50 miles a week. And if you're running 30 or 25 because you're killing yourself on the track, then this is all for not. Yes. Yes, exactly. So how did your training go for New York? How did that, how did that work out for you? New York was awesome. Um, New York was one. It took me a while to qualify for New York. Um, And so when I finally did, my husband had told me, okay, well, once you go, we're going to just make a trip out of it. And we had um, two other couples that we were all college roommates together. And we've just been really good friends over the years that they were like, all right, well, when you qualify, Tam, we're all going to go to New York. And so again, New York wasn't a pressure race. I already knew I was doing Phoenix in February. And so I just kind of had set my sights on that. I was like, okay, New York's going to be base building so that when I do New York, then I can do a good, honest, quality buildup for Phoenix and finally give myself a chance to see what I can do in a marathon. All right. So let's look at it right now. When you were a month out from Phoenix, you had done at that point about six to eight months of like classic marathon training in terms of like summer, you know, you were, you, you didn't kill yourself over the, over the fall. You did a lot of base building and then you have this great, great training cycle going into Phoenix. You're a month out. You're about to finish like the, the end of the, the heavy duty running. What were you thinking about in terms of how fast you could go for that race? Huh. <laughs> well, um, I had three different goals. I had a, if the stars all align and this is a perfect day, I wanted to be uh, 310. And then I had, um, I guess what you would call my A goal, the one that it's like, 
you know, that's the, that's the dream race is the 310. But if, if I have a good, good day, then I'm going to be sub 315. And then the beagle was, well, you better be under 320 for sure. <laughs> so. And did you have certain workouts that you use as indicators for marathon fitness, both in your own training and then also as a coach? You know, I feel like that can be tricky mm. because you can give yourself marathon pace miles like within a long run. Um, but it can all be different on race day because, you know, marathon pace miles in four degree temperature, which I was doing in January here when, you know, it's probably snowing or it may be a little icy um, and on a loaded training week is going to feel very different than race day in the sun on rested tapered legs. Um, and so I feel like you can kind of do marathon pace miles, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say that there's a, a specific workout that would say, yeah, you can do this. So then what were you, again, you were right on the money. I'm not going to give up what you ran in that race, but you you're, you're right on the money in terms of your, your ability to predict what your fitness was. So was it just a gut instinct or what were you basing um, those numbers on? Huh. That's a good question. Um, you know, I'd kind of felt in 2016, since 2016, I felt like the sub 320 was well within my power. Um, I, I hadn't done that and I, I didn't do that. Um, in Phoenix in 17, I did a 325 and I mean, it was very far off from that sub 320. And so I kind of felt like my running had already been at that level to do the 320, I guess, probably based off of some long run marathon pace workouts. I know I just said you can't really go off of that, but that's probably what gave me that idea. <laughs> um, and then I think just as I was doing marathon pace miles, I would notice that the um, my body would naturally start to cut down the paces. And so I think that's when I was kind of like, okay, maybe a 315 is now the goal. And then the 310 actually came from Lindsay. Um, Lindsay McSwain, who's been on this show. Lindsay, Lindsay Lightning McSwain. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that girl. So she did St. George in October. And she was going for a 310 and she had said, I, we were messaging and I was like, oh, I'm going to be down there. So let me know, you know, if you need anything. And I think she might've just been jokingly saying like, Hey, if you want to run the last 10 K with me, that'd be great. And I was like, you know, I mean, I need to do a run that day anyway, might as well just do that. And there's a point in the St. George course, um, it's right around mile 18. There's one last climb. Um, but that's also the only place you can park for the rest of the course. And so I drove up there and I parked right there and I was like, well, I guess I'll just run the last eight miles with her. And so when I ran the last eight with her, I was just like, oh, maybe I could do a 310. And she's like, oh, you for sure can, Tam. So that's where the 310 came from. <laughs> I love it. I love it. She's always so optimistic too. Not that she was not that she was wrong saying that, but she's like such an optimistic person, especially when she's talking oh, about her. other people <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. All right. So let's talk about race day. So you're going in. Did you have? I'm not. So I'm not super familiar with the Phoenix course. Obviously, I know people like you who run it. Um, but what did you have from a race plan perspective, not only in terms of pacing early on, but just how you were approaching the course or the topography of it and things like that? Well, I started working with Sarah Crouch, um, the end of 2018. So she actually gave me my race plan. <laughs> she, um, looking at the Phoenix course, 
It has about 700 feet net elevation loss. Um, the first three miles have some downhill, and then you have about three miles uphill, and then another couple downhill, and then it pretty much kind of levels out. So I think the second half maybe has 200 feet elevation loss, um, and maybe 50 of that is like the last mile. I don't know. I don't know the exact elevation chart, but so most of your elevation loss is actually in the first 10K of Phoenix. And so it's very easy to go out too fast. No kidding, it's right? Easy. I mean, it's easy it's to go out easy. in any marathon. It's easy to go out too fast because you're so amped. Yes. And like, yes. And it's like you forget the first half should be easy. Yes. I mean, you have, you're rested, so you're a little more spry anyway. And then they play the national anthem. They shoot off fireworks. And it's like, all right, when that cannon goes off, you kind of, you just have all that race day adrenaline. It's hard to hold back. But um, Sarah had sat down with me the day before and she's like, I do not want to see you flying through the halfway mark at 131. And I'm like, okay, then where should I be? <laughs> <laughs> and she told me to put a governor on my watch. She was like, you can't go any faster than a 720 that first half. I was like, okay. So that's kind of just what I did. I just listened to Sarah and it worked out for me. So how did you feel say around mile 10 ish in terms of the art, you stuck to the plan. How did your legs feel at that point compared to not only how you hoped they would feel, but how they felt in other marathons that you'd run? Amazing night and day difference. It really had felt like I had just been out on an easy run so far that day. It was awesome. And I will use that tactic for the rest of my life. I mean, I had done an excessive amount of, I guess, Instagram stalking from people who had had PRs. And almost all of them had, if you look at their overall marathon time, ridiculously slow first halves. It was totally like just that second half, they threw the hammer down. And so I was like, oh, well, what are they doing differently? And then I also even looked at the pros. Um, Mary Katani in New York had such a huge negative split. And it's like, okay, well, if the pros are doing this, and they're even doing it on New York where the, you know, the second half is supposed to be harder Then maybe little amateur me should pay attention. There you go. There you go. And little amateur you, it worked out well because you're sitting there at mile <laughs> feeling great. So when you come across the half marathon time, did you just want to step on the gas at that point? Or did you just try to like slowly like progression run style, bring it down? Well, Sarah was right there. And so she ran with me for a little bit and just kind of was like, how are you feeling? And she's like, okay, I want you to just kind of get in. We call it treadmill mode because you just kind of get on there and just keep your legs moving. And so she was like, just stay in treadmill mode until mile 20. And then you have full permission at 20 to just go. And so when I got through the half, it was like, okay, well, we're just going to keep doing this. This is fine. And I got through the half. Um, it was 136.08. So it was like, oh, well, even if I just hold this for the rest of the race, I'm totally fine with that time. <laughs> yeah, because that would have been right at your A goal, like on the number. Yes. Yep, exactly. All right. So the last, the last 10K, were you able to put it down or how'd that work out? You know, I would say for me, I was able to put it down. Um, I have never run my final 10K of a marathon that well, ever. <laughs> and so it wasn't quite the cut down that I was hoping for, like I said, to get that 310. Um, but it was such a strong 10K for me that I am thrilled. Just 
thrilled with it. Yeah, I bet. And so many people aren't able to execute that plan, even if that is their plan. It's, it can be a hard one to do and to be prepared for. So what was it in terms of in relation to your other, you know, your fellow runners? Were you passing a lot of people coming down the stretch? Um, well, here's the thing is I wasn't really in a like chipper place the last 10K. Um, it was really starting to hurt. And so what I started to do was just focus on, it's just on the streets of Phoenix. So there are lots of signs, you know, bus signs, business signs, everything. And I would pick something that was maybe 20 yards ahead of me because 30 yards, I knew I couldn't make it that far. So I would just pick something 20 yards ahead of me. I was like, okay, I just have to make it to that sign. And then when I got there, it was again, maybe only 20 yards or sometimes only 10 feet. It was like, oh, that pet hospital right there. I've got to just make it there. And so I didn't notice anything else around me. I was so just laser focused on those road signs because it was like, I need to escape whatever I'm feeling in my legs right now, because that's what was hurting. Um, just because my legs have never run that pace for 20 miles. And it's a, it's a different stride. It's a more aggressive movement on your muscles. And my legs were feeling it. This is a great story, though, because it's so easy for people to forget, or if they've never been there, to not know in the first place, that even for someone like you, who's an experienced endurance athlete, who's done you know a lot of these kinds of races, that even for you, in the race of your life, you said the huge PR, you were in 313. Even for you, <laughs> the last 10K was you know bitterly difficult. Um, and it's just so easy to just assume that it's going to go well. And the whole race was just like rainbows and unicorns. And like, look at you, you finally did it. And I love the, the the pictures and the videos I see of you nearing the finish line. You were obviously just jubilant at that point, but it wasn't as if it was like that the whole way. And people can forget how hard a marathon is, even in the best of circumstances. You have to respect that distance. There is a reason that a marathon is 26.2 miles and not 20 miles. You have to respect that distance and that's just one thing that the marathon has taught me time and time again is that last 10k is where your race is kind of made or broken (laughs) yeah for sure especially if you've you know trained adequately and getting to mile 18 or 20 is kind of like a no-brainer for and for most Mm -hmm. people that's exactly the case all right Last question for you. You've been so generous with your time and I really appreciate it. So last one is what is the advice that you give to other people who are currently working hard and have goals, but whose progression has not been along like, a linear path and are starting to get frustrated and are wondering if this is ever going to happen. Patience. We live in such an instant gratification time that it really is just stay with it. Keep, I mean, just like Des says, keep showing up. But I would say more than anything, consistency. Um, Don't try to do the quick fixes or the extreme techniques. Just keep with what you're doing. And I mean, those, those little things, I mean, toothpicks can still be stacked to be a mile high, even if they're, you know, a centimeter or millimeter, whatever tall, they can still be stacked and you can still get there. Just, just be patient with yourself and forgiving. (laughs) There you go. You kind of need one to have the other. That's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Tamron, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. I know that you were a little anxious coming on here, but you did really (laughs) well, and I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Hopefully it made sense to people listening. (laughs) I have no doubt. Thanks a lot, Tam. Thank you. Again, thank you, Tamron, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I loved every second of this conversation. 
I feel like I could have gone another hour. Does she have so much good knowledge to send to send out there? Also, she's what she's been able to do is just so. It not only is inspiring because, like, hey man, she figured it out. She, she's here's a woman who just ran a three thirteen marathon at age thirty seven after taking two years off not that long ago, and then having a pretty wild <laughs> last twelve to sixteen months. And if you don't, if you can't get down, get down and get behind that, then I don't even know why you're listening to this show. Frankly, I think it's a great story, and I'm so happy that she was on here to share it. Also, thank you to Mercury Mile, the presenting sponsor of this show. Go to MercuryMile.com, use code RamblingRunner10 to save ten bucks and get yourself some high quality running gear. They work with the best brands in the industry, and they have stuff that you've never seen before, and I love it. All my best gear comes from them. I can't say that enough because it's true. So check them out, mercurymile.com. Thank you for sharing the show, reviewing the show, for giving me new you know, suggestions about people I can have on. I love it all. I really appreciate it. A lot of you communicate with me on Instagram, rambling underscore runner. I really appreciate it. So thanks again and happy running.